Chapter Four of Eleven Years a Drunkard by Thomas Stoddard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. As myself and my rescuers walked back to town, they related to me how they had seen in the evening that I was intoxicated, and so were determined to watch me until I went home. They were but a short distance behind me when I was met by the man who demanded my money. The first impulse was to come up and drag the villain off to jail, and they were about to do so when I got the advantage of him. They then dropped to the ground, out of sight, and watched the progress of the fight. When the other two men came up, they were sorry they did not rescue me, and one of them dashed off after his revolvers. Before we had started for the grove, he had returned at the same headlong speed. They both followed me to the grove, and had it not been for them, in all probability, I would have been murdered that night. They were my deliverers. They were men with true and generous hearts, overflowing with noble and generous emotions. To the last moment of my existence will I remember them with feelings of deepest gratitude. O oh, immortal God, what bitter language can tell the crime of this fiery demon that has drawn me so often to the brink of a drunkard's grave, and which today is dragging thousands of our best men down to perdition. This filthy poison will fill the consumer with madness until he fears nothing and cares not what he does. When this demon maddens one's brain, it will not lead him away to some lonely spot where he would be hidden from the eyes of men. It will not lead him home where he would be shielded from danger and disgrace. Oh, did you but know the favors which you grant the devil every time you let whiskey appear in your presence? Did you but consider the happiness which you fling away every time you raise this filthy cup to your lips? Did you but reflect how near to destruction you place yourself every time you do so? Did you seriously call to mind all the trials and troubles this monster brings upon the world every day of our lives? Had you a just sense of what a great snare of the devil's strong drink is, and how easily you were drawn into it? You would importune heaven's help with as much earnestness as I, who have been ruined by rum. You would pray for light from heaven to guide you in time of danger and for grace to avoid the snares and resist the temptations of this promoter of crime. You would beg for patience to bear the difficulties of human life and to submit to those trials which are the appointment of heaven. For a short time after my adventure, I did not drink any kind of liquor, and instead of going to some dance house or billiard saloon, I would spend my evenings reading. For four or five weeks I continued this. Oh, would to God that I had practiced it longer. But alas, I did not but gave way to my weak passions and again grasped the drunkard's cup firmer than before. I now became even more reckless than before, and the only places where I could now amuse myself were the dens and stews of the city, where the thieves, vagabonds, and gamblers congregated for the night drinking all kinds of intoxicating liquors and smoking and chewing tobacco. All the inmates of those dens carried knives and revolvers, and some of those wretches whose hearts had been hardened by strong drink would jump at the slightest opportunity to use them. One evening I went over to Omaha. Before I started I had become intoxicated, and when I landed on the other side of the river, I stepped into a saloon and drank more of this fiery liquid. Then I went out and walked around the city for some time. At length I came to a gambling den and went in. I stepped up to the bar and called for a glass of brandy, and after drinking it I sat down in a chair. But I did not remain sitting there long, for there was a man stuck his head through a door leading to an adjoining room and asked me if I did not wish to play a game of seven-up. 
I told him that I did and went into the other room. Here I met two other men, sitting by a small square table on which stood a bottle filled with whiskey and a tumbler. The three men were drunk, as was also myself. We threw for partners, and, after taking a drink out of the bottle, commenced playing. We played four or five games, myself and a partner losing every game. At length my brain became dull and confused by the effects of the whiskey I had drank, and in playing my cards I made a mistake of no particular consequence, at which my partner became so enraged, and with drunken recklessness, drew a knife from his pocket and stabbed me in the back, inflicting a long, ugly wound, which, however, was not deep enough to be serious. The three men ran out the back door as soon as I was stabbed, and the proprietor sent for a physician, who soon came and sewed up the wound. I remained in the saloon all night, and as I left the saloon in the morning, there was a lurking devil in my heart which prompted me to find the human bloodhound and take revenge. I walked about the town, almost crazed by rum and weakened by the pain of my wound, looking for the man who had so cruelly stabbed me, until the sun approached the meridian, when it became insufferably warm. The hot rays of the sun almost scorched the earth. The part of my coat which covered the wound in my back was saturated with blood. Great drops of perspiration rolled down my face. I could walk no longer, although the devil in my heart was urging me on to find that man. But it was impossible. So I staggered off and found a second-class boarding house, where I went to bed and was soon asleep. I did not awaken from my drunken slumbers until dark. At first I could not think where I was or how I came there. But my scattered senses soon returned, and I rose to a sitting posture and looked around me. By my bedside sat a gentleman whom I never remembered having seen before, so I asked him why he was there. He informed me that he was a physician and had been called in by the landlord. I asked if it was on my account that he had been called in, and he said it was, for about the middle of the afternoon I became crazy and threw everything in my room except the bed, downstairs, and then ran down myself, with but a small portion of my usual attire on me. Oh, that my parents had laid me in my grave before I had been dragged to this by rum. And with a heartbroken groan, I turned my face toward the wall. I had not lain there long before I went to sleep and slept all night. When I awoke in the morning, I felt very much refreshed, but very sore and stiff. About nine o'clock, the landlord brought me some breakfast, and about ten, I arose and dressed myself, and went downstairs where I met the doctor who was just coming to see me. He was surprised to see me up and said that I was not in a condition to get up yet and that I should at least remain in the house. I told him that I felt bad and was stiff and sore and my back pained me, but I could not stay shut up in that room all day and thought such exercises walking around the streets would not hurt me. He then told me that I must not drink any strong liquor that day for my brain was in a very bad condition. He then spoke of the loving kindness of the Creator and of the life that is to come. After I promised him that I would not drink any more that day, he departed, the voice of prayer ascending from his lips to heaven. Here the landlord began to talk to me in this way. Young man, you are throwing yourself to destruction by your insatiate thirst for whiskey. You ought not gratify this passion. It is criminal. It is contrary to what both faith and reason require of you, that great enemy of God and man. The devil has no power to injure anyone either in body or soul, unless man yields to his evil suggestions. Be sober, therefore, and watch, because your adversary, the devil, goes about in this poison, seeking whom he may destroy. But Satan can buy only those who are willing to be bitten, for he does not harm by enforcing, but by enticing. 
he cannot force us to consent to do evil but through the agency of whiskey he will lead the poor victim on to destruction oh young man throw down the drunkard's cup think of the infinite goodness of god to whom you owe all you possess think of all the favors which he bestows on you every day and did he not besides all this die an ignominious death on the cross for us and now we are adding daily to our own transgressions still jesus awaits us with patience and untiring love he opens wide his arms to fold us to his heart in forgiving love if we will but shun sin and cast ourselves humble and contrite at his blessed feet just then the dinner bell rang and we went to dinner as we walked through the hall leading to the dining room he went on to say that if i was not blind i must see the sin misery and crime that rum is spreading through our land and that he hoped i would not be so mad as to forsake god for this poison and willfully and to my own knowledge set my foot into one of satan's strongest snares after dinner i went up to my room and lay down upon my bed i soon fell into a heavy slumber and did not wake until the shadows of evening were darkening my chamber then i arose and attempted to go downstairs but before i reached the head of the stairs i became dizzy and fell to the floor i tried to get up but it was impossible i was unable to move after lying there a few minutes i gained sufficient strength to rise and walk to my room i felt very faint and weak but i succeeded in getting into bed i felt sick and was soon taken with violent pains in the head and back many times previous to this i had experienced similar pains to the ones in my head and i knew that they were caused by that promoter of all evil rum when supper was ready the landlord came to my room and told me to come down i told him that i was not well and would not go down to supper that evening for i was without appetite he did not insist but walked out of the room oh if ever a boy felt homesick i did that night i could not sleep well and every hour seemed to grow longer than the last oh would morning never come i heard the clock in an adjoining room strike the hour of midnight the wound in my back was growing more painful and my head ached more violently i thought i would surely die although if i kept on at this rate there was little to live for still the near approach of death appalled me i thought i would be willing to yield up my life and if i were in the midst of friends but to expire in the midst of strangers under such circumstances was a bitter reflection and i turned my face to the wall and wept tears of bitter anguish i thought that i would not be so unwilling to die if i were not so deep in sin and if i were at home with my friends surrounding my bed for i knew that then would end my suffering but if i were to die as i was i knew this suffering would be eternal i knew that i must appear before the judgment bar of god where all the sins of my past life would be exposed before an innumerable multitude of angels and saints which would heap such a load of burning shame upon me that i would wish to sink into the darkest dungeon in hell rather than show my face again but my shame would pursue me even thither and be as everlasting as the flames that will never be quenched oh what a wicked boy i had been rejecting god to gratify my own passion for strong drink rejecting and despising god after he had dealt so mercifully with me after he had so kindly given me the power to shun all the misery which this promoter of crime had already heaped upon me and the everlasting punishment it was sure to bring upon my soul if i should die a drunkard i could see that it is a weakness and folly rather to be expected from an insane person than one who had pretensions to judgment and reason to reject such easy terms of reconciliation as the throwing down of the rum cup 
At length, morning came, but I felt no better. The landlord came up and summoned me to breakfast, and I told him I was very sick and I could not go down, but would like to have a physician. He said he would send for one immediately and went downstairs. In due time, the physician arrived, and after examining the wound in my back and hearing about the pain in my head, he said that if I was not more careful, whiskey would soon do its work, and I would drop early into a dishonored grave. He left some medicine, and as he departed, he said he would tell the landlord to come up and give me some every two hours. I was very sick for some time, but the crisis having passed, I recovered rapidly, and at the end of three weeks, I was upon my feet again with the wound on my back, almost entirely healed. Before this, I had longed for vengeance, but now, after having stood face to face with death, all thoughts of revenge were relinquished, and in my thankfulness to God for having saved my life, I felt a large charity in my heart for all men. All past offenses were forgiven and I resolved to go back to Council Bluffs as soon as I was able to work. One day, becoming tired of the smoke and dust of the city, I started out in the country for a walk. When about a half mile out of town, I chanced to look back and saw a man about a quarter of a mile distant, who was walking toward me very rapidly. I did not look around again for four or five minutes. Then I sat down upon a pile of fence rails which lay by the roadside. By this time, he had gotten quite near and was running. I recognized him as the ruffian who had stabbed me at the saloon. I could see that he was under the influence of liquor, for he staggered about considerably as he ran toward me. But where was he going? Was he coming to murder me? I sat in silence, hoping he would go by and not recognize me. He kept on until he was about two or three rods of me. Then, with an oath, such a bitter, frightful oath, as only he could utter, he snatched a long knife from under his coat and darted towards me, swearing he would cut my heart out. It was a moment of life or death. The sharp, bright blade for a moment glittered in the sunlight, and the next would be buried in my heart. Yet in an instant, so quick will a man's thoughts come to him in such a state, I reasoned with myself, and thought if I stood there my doom was certain, and if I turned and fled ten chances to one, the knife flying from his hand with deadly and unerring aim would strike me in the back. There was but one course to pursue, springing toward him as quickly as possible and meeting him halfway. Before he could bring down the knife, I caught his uplifted arm with one hand and seized his throat with the other. We stood for a moment looking each other in the eyes. In his I could see murder, and I felt as if I had a serpent by the neck, which was watching the slightest relaxation of my grasp coil itself round my body, crushing and stinging it to death. My first thought was to cry for help, but there was no house within a half mile, and I could see no one who might catch the sound of my voice, so I gave up the idea. Just at this time a lucky thought occurred to me, with a vigorous and sudden kick which brought him to one knee with a groan. I relaxed my grasp, on his throat, and snatching the knife from his hand, I cast it beyond his reach. Frantic with rage, he seized a piece of rail about five feet long and rushed towards me. Again I met him halfway and seized him about the waist. He being quite helpless from liquor, I bore him to the ground with very little difficulty. While in that position he let go the stick, and I gained possession of it, and cast it from me also. He staggered upon his feet, swearing that he had come to kill me, and was going to do it. He did not come up to me, however, but stooped for the stick, and before he straightened himself, I sprang upon him with all my power, pressing him firmly and closely to the earth. We remained in that position for some minutes. There have been hours in my unhappy life when the contemplation of death as the end of earthly sorrows, and of the grave as the resting place of the weary body, have been pleasant to dwell upon. 
but such thoughts vanished in the hour of peril. My whole being revolted against the idea of dying. No man in his full strength can stand undismayed in the presence of the king of terrors. Life is dear to every living thing. The worm which crawls on the ground will struggle for it, and it was dear to me at that moment, drunken wretch though I was. There was a lurking devil in my heart that prompted me to kill him on the spot, but I dared not kill him, for my life very likely would pay the forfeit. A voice within me whispered to fly, which I resolved to do. Swinging him from me, I leaped the fence by the roadside and hurried across the prairie. As I was leaping the fence, he hurled a stick at me, which struck me but very lightly on the shoulder. I soon made my way to the hotel, paid my bill, and the next hour was in Council Bluffs. There I found that my conductor had hired another man in my place, after having waited a week for my return. I then came to the conclusion that my fortunes could not be made in the West, so after procuring what money there was coming to me, I returned to my old home in Illinois, and in a short time obtained employment as a brakeman on a freight train. I was now fully determined to ever shun this filthy liquid, rum, which had already done me so much harm, and for two months I did not touch the drunkard's cup. But at the end of that time I raised the filthy cup to my lips, and for a week I kept under the influence of whiskey. At the end of that time my conductor told me that I would get killed if I did not stop drinking. He told me that he had had one brakeman killed on his train while drunk and did not want another such thing to happen and kindly requested me to stop drinking while on the train. Being at the time somewhat under the influence of that demon, rum, I would not comply with his request, but began talking to him in a very insulting manner, and called for my time. After having received my time, I went home, where I made another of my many broken pledges, which, as at each previous time, I was fully resolved to keep. This time I succeeded better than at any other time since I raised the intoxicating bowl to my lips. For the next six months I did not enter a saloon or drink a drop of liquor, but this tranquil happiness could not last. I could feel the tempter at work all the time. But being, as I thought, proof against the tempter, and having brothers in Iowa, I resolved to again go west, and made all necessary preparations, even to the packing of my valise. This was in the morning of April 17, 1873. I did not intend to start until night, and having some business in a small town about six miles west of my home, I went to transact my business before going to Iowa, not dreaming that that would be my last day on earth as an able-bodied man. About 12.30 p.m., I arrived in the town to which I was going, and met some of my old acquaintances, who all drank more or less and invited me to drink with them. This was the first invitation I had received since I had taken the pledge. My first answer was no but still they insisted that I should take just one more drink with them. I, thinking that I could stop with one, consented to drink to please a friend whom I had not seen for some time before that day. Yes, I consented to take that one drink which came very near ending my earthly career. Oh, yes, dear reader, it was that drink which did it all. For as soon as I had drank that, I had stepped from the path of sobriety into Satan's snare and renewed my appetite for the poison, which could not be satisfied except by rum. After myself and companions had become intoxicated, I purchased a bottle of this filthy poison, and proposed to start home, when my friend concluded he would accompany me. We went to the depot, and as there was a freight train about to depart, we got on and started for my home, where we arrived in due time, and I and my companion got off the train, but the evil one would not let me stay. 
No, he had got me in his grasp and was going to forward his work of destruction. Knowing the train men, I again stepped aboard the train, and passing my home, I went to Geneva. Here again I left the train, and would to God I had walked directly away, but to my great sorrow I did not. Still under the influence of that poison, and ready to agree to any proposition, when my companion proposed to go to Chicago, I at once sanctioned it. As the train started, my companion jumped on and climbed to the top of the cars. I attempted to follow his example, but missed my hold and fell between the cars, and the wheels passing over my arms mangled one of them so horribly that only a small piece of skin held it on. While the other was not so bad, yet it was an utter impossibility to save it. Both arms were amputated, the right six and the left four inches from the shoulder. Now, kind friends, I have portrayed to you, as well as my ability, will allow the evils of whiskey, and my earnest prayer is, is that each and every one who may peruse these pages will take a warning in time and abandon your downward career before it be too late to repent, for this fiery demon will lead you to destruction where it has led thousands before. And you who have never tasted this fiery liquid, in the name of the people, I implore you to never taste it, for you can see what it has brought me to, and all in a few years. Just think of a man in my position, in the prime of life, being deprived of both arms, worthless to myself and all others, through the use of this enemy of mankind, rum. The End End of Chapter 4 Recording by Kurt Walton End of Eleven Years of a Drunkard or The Life of Thomas Donner Having lost both arms to intemperance, he wrote this book with his teeth as a warning to others. By Thomas Donner